And another thing And another thing Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing, the podcast that continues to set the bar, as Jody would say. Jody's got a couple of sick kids at home, so he cannot make it today, but I'll be with our special guest who will be introduced momentarily. Uh, But of course, we do want to thank our amazing sponsors who have been with us uh, through thick and thin in various guises. Of course, I'm thinking of our primary sponsor, our presenting sponsor, Municipal Solutions, uh, which is Ontario's leading MZO firm. They're there for development services, project management, planning services with municipalities, engineering services, architectural services, building permits, you name it, Municipal Solutions can get it done for you by working with uh, the municipalities. John Mutt and the gang are available at municipalsolutions.ca. We want to thank our terrestrial radio sponsor, Hunter's Bay Radio. You can find our podcast repeated along with many other fine podcasts every Saturday morning at 88.7 FM in Muskoka or simply go to huntersbayradio.com. And then, of course, one of our newer sponsors, the theharrislegacy.ca, uh, where you get to explore the latest book that is coming out soon and, in fact, involves our very special guest. The book is called The Harris Legacy, Reflections on a Transformational Premier. You will get uh, excellent essays on this period of history in Ontario, uh, contributors including David Frum, Jack Mintz, uh, Gord Miller, David Hurley, and more. It is edited by Alistair Campbell, who happens to be our special guest today. You will, we will be hearing from him momentarily, but please, in order to order this book, you can go to theharrislegacy.ca, learn an awful lot more about the book and the, the period of history. It is very much worth your while. Finally, uh, our other uh, new sponsor, if you're enjoying this show, we think you'll love the podcast, Not Reserving Judgment, from our friends at the Canadian Constitution Foundation, which is a charity dedicated to a freer Canada. In each episode, hosts Josh uh, DeHouse, uh, Joanna Barron, and Christine Van Gyne update you on the latest legal news, tell you about legal stories that you might be have, might have missed, and give their bad legal takes of the week where they take a lighthearted look at legal opinions that didn't quite land. Not Reserving Judgment isn't just for lawyers, it's a show for all Canadians who care about their rights and freedoms. The hosts aren't afraid of controversial uh, topics. In recent episodes, they've tackled so-called residential school denialism and proposals to require parental consent for childhood uh, gender transition. Find Not Reserving Judgment wherever else you get your podcasts and download the latest episode today. Uh, It's a pretty uh just crazy time in the world we we know that at another thing podcast obviously uh our our thoughts and prayers are in the middle east after the horrendous attack by hamas a terrorist organization against the state of israel and so much uh, uh so many deaths and uh, the hostages all of it and i want you to know uh we are uh arranging for a very special guest in uh, the next podcast uh 
Eli Hazan, who is a uh, an Israeli diplomat, has agreed to come on our program. He was on our show, uh, I think, about three years ago now, uh, before he was even called to be uh, an ambassador. But uh, he's agreed to come back on. We'll get his insights. So just hold tight for that. Uh, that is going to be a very important uh, podcast as well. Today, we have the honor of having Alistair Campbell with us. He is a senior uh, insurance executive. Uh, I should state for the record, he's a, a lifelong friend of mine as well. And uh, he is really the organizing force for this uh, amazing new book on the, the Mike Harris legacy. Uh, Alistair, um, welcome to the program. Uh, please excuse my shredded voice. I think you had a little bit to do with it, but not uh, an entire. It's not entirely your fault. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm just very excited that we can talk about uh, the Mike Harris era and why it's important today. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Tony. And uh, I don't think it was me. It was you singing along uh, to the uh, <laughs> amazing live band we were listening to last night uh, till late in the hours. That is very, very true and accurate, uh, as always. Um, uh, of course, um, I want to give our listeners a little bit of a, an opportunity to understand sort of the context of this book about Mike Harris uh, and why you think he's a transformational premier uh, for Ontario. So how did you... Uh, how did you come about uh, creating this project? What what was the thing that drove you along to think that this book was necessary? Super starting question. So, and thanks so much, uh, Tony, for a chance to talk about books. For goodness sakes, uh, not everybody uh, still reads. Uh, but let's assume uh, for the start that some of your audience uh, are young enough to have some vague recollection, but maybe not a specific one about uh, former premiers from 25 or 30 years ago. So maybe just the quick praise, you know, there is a third place party called the Ontario Progressive Conservatives. And in June of 1995, that party had been in third place in the polls for five years. Uh, they were a distant third place in the legislature. Uh, and they went into an election campaign 30 points behind. And in six weeks, uh, Mike Harris, the leader of that party, uh, came out with a landslide election victory and became Premier of Ontario. He'd campaigned on a platform, which most platforms are forgotten even when, you know, the day they're issued. Uh, this one still has uh, quite a substantial memory to it, the common sense revolution. And in content and scope and specificity, I guess, it, it was not normal. It had very specific uh, and aggressive proposals for major change in Ontario, dramatic reductions in government spending, cuts to tax rates, and a series of structural changes to the public sector. Uh, it was a big shock and nobody took it that seriously. Everybody thought this was too far out on the edge. Uh, and uh, it had tremendous resonance with the people of Ontario, uh, very eager for change after a lost decade under uh, Premier Peterson, a Liberal, and amazingly, Premier Bob Ray at that time, an NDPer. Uh, Harris won this landslide, and then he did something really weird. He implemented the platform that he'd promised to implement, page for page, policy for policy. Uh, and a lot of that had a huge impact on uh, society. Uh, there was a lot of change happening all at once. 
And in particular, the public sector unions found that tremendously stressful. And so in 99, there was kind of a rematch, except this time the competitors were ready not to be taken by surprise. They were loaded for bear. They outspent the Tories two or three to one in advertising. Uh, And it was really a referendum on the common sense revolution. And Harris won a second majority with an increased plurality. Right. Uh, He stepped down as a premier two and a half years afterwards. And at his final press conference, when asked, did he have any regrets? He said, yes, I wish I had done more. Right. I kind of regard that, Tony, as like the original mic drop. Yeah, exactly. And of course, I remember that conference. And uh, for those who uh, don't have have our history. Of course, I was part of that government and uh, a member of Mike Harris's cabinet as well. Um, So I think it's fair to say, however, that um, Mike Harris's, the remembrance of Mike Harris probably is very split. Uh, Some people remember him extremely fondly, but there, there was a demonization of Mike Harris that, that took place after he left public life. And, I'd say uh, two parts to that, Tony. There was yeah. a demonization, and that was attached to kind of kind of certain memes, uh, Ipperwash, where uh, First Nations uh, uh, member Dudley George sadly lost his life, uh, and uh, also Walkerton, right. uh, a municipality that suffered the tragedy of, of, uh, of poisoned water, effectively. Uh, and both of those happened on his watch. Uh, neither of them were directly connected in any way to his leadership or his decisions, but uh, they happened on his watch and they have been used to demonize, but also to help cancel uh, the memory. Uh, and so uh, it was really that cancellation uh, that led me to think that maybe it was time for a look back. So do you think that it was important to have, uh, I, I, I want people to know that uh, the structure of the book is not, hagiography. It's not creating a saint out of Mike Harris. You're, uh, tell us the structure of the book and, and uh, tell us yeah, what you're so, to accomplish. Um, that's a really, really important point. Like this is, this is a policy book, not a political book. Right. I think uh, the existence of the book may have a political consequence, which is uh, to contribute to the kind of rehabilitation of a very, very consequential conservative change leader. Uh, but it's not a political book. It's not a polemics book. If you want to read propaganda, you're going to the wrong place. Uh, I recruited a group of seasoned, engaged political observers, some partisan, some definitely not, some conservatives, some absolutely not. I've got Greens. I've got liberals in here. Uh, some were engaged in the politics of the time, uh, though I did not ask any cabinet minister to write the chapter about what a good job they did. Uh, or you would have been in. Uh, I was looking for uh, uh, outsiders to take a look back and try and objectively evaluate the performance of the government. And the structure is each chapter is written by a different author. Uh, Correct. So uh, yeah. just to wade, wade through that a little bit. To, uh, sure. Uh, so the, the, uh, the forward is by David Frump who does just a beautiful job of setting the table for what an unusual and special uh, and very Canadian um, Premier uh, Mike Harris was. Uh, the economic chapter is a prof from the University of Calgary who just tries to tackle, you know, uh, 
Harris made some changes to tax rates. What happened to employment? Uh, Harris made some changes to uh, fiscal uh, programming. What were the consequences? The fiscal chapter, you know, did Harris balance the budget? Yes. Did he cut health care? No. Uh, did it have uh, consequences that were generally favorable? Yes. Uh, Jack Mintz, uh, former head of the CD Howe, Terrence Corcoran, uh, former editor of the Financial Post. Uh, the education reform chapters, Bill Robson, who runs the CD Howe Institute now, a nonpartisan think tank. The liberal uh, who wrote the healthcare reform chapter, Will Falk, was doing digital health advice for the prime minister. Uh, uh, Sean Spear does the welfare reform chapter. The list is, is great. It finishes with the late Hugh Siegel. Uh, who passed away just weeks after sending me his final draft of the chapter on federal provincial relations. Right. right. Uh, and it's, it's a full uh, soup to nuts, uh, policy area by policy area on what did the government do and did it work? So why do you come to the conclusion that Mike Harris was a transformational premier? Yeah. So uh, I got to come to this conclusion uh, with the help of these authors. But the bottom line finding of the book, uh, and I don't want to discourage people from buying it and reading it, is that despite all the controversies of the time surrounding so many of the changes undertaken by the Harris government across just so many different areas of public policy, surprisingly few of those allegedly awful changes were reversed in the almost 20 years of liberals afterwards. Mm. Uh, the city of Toronto, uh, was not unmerged. The 40 uneconomic uh, small hospitals who closed were not reopened, not one of them. Uh, Province-wide negotiation authority for teaching contracts with the most powerful union in North America, uh, the teachers unions in Ontario, was not handed back to the 78 kind of amateur boards of education. It was retained at the center. The old monolith of Ontario Hydro that he uh, broke up was not reconstituted. We got rid of coal. Uh, and nobody's to say we should start burning that again uh, and polluting the air and producing more carbons. Uh, he cut welfare compensation rates. Uh, apparently, that was a terrible thing to do, but uh, the liberals afterwards never budged that. Uh, the Oak Ridge's moraine, Tony, still undeveloped uh, as of this podcast. Uh, we privatized highways like the 407. We privatized nuclear plants mm. like uh, Bruce Power. Right, they right. haven't been renationalized. The list goes on. Uh, it's quite extraordinary to take a look at a list of things where each one was the subject of controversy, debate, and criticism. Uh, and yet afterwards, it turns out they were the right thing to do, and nobody would imagine reversing. And so, uh, and and that so is we, a pretty profound conclusion. Right, this. right. And so we still live in Mike Harris's Ontario. That's the provocative statement. That is, uh, and you know, and some people might be uh, ambivalent about that, and some people might think it's. Uh, actually left us, you know, we're almost uh, 16 million people now. We were in 11. Uh, uh, we created a, a, a very desirable province to live in again. Uh, and when Mike took it over, it was uh, debt-ridden, uh, plagued with massive deficits and had the highest unemployment rate in Canada, worse than Newfoundland. Uh, and so to think about how far uh, we moved the dial, in a short period of time. And I say we, because I was part of this uh, campaign team that uh, helped Mike do this. Uh, but what really matters is not the politics of it. It's just at the end of a period of time of 
real political change. You want to have a sense of whether you've actually done something good for the province or the country or humanity. Uh, and I think a lot of people have been encouraged to think that Mike Harris was some kind of adverse uh, negative blip in the otherwise benign progressive trajectory of Ontario politics. And uh, the reality is he was one of the best things to happen to this province. And the number one proof point of that is that the Liberals didn't change his policies afterwards. What does uh, Mike Harris think of this book? <laughs> so, uh, well, he knew it was happening. Uh, but, uh, and he got to read the chapters when they were done. Right. Uh, there's one written by a former, uh, um, chief of, uh, staff to him. And he called me up afterwards and said, wow, guy was kind of hard on me. Uh, so, uh, it's, um, it's a balanced story and he, uh, did not have editorial control over it, but honestly, um, I think he has always quietly felt, uh, in retirement that he probably did a pretty good job. Right. Uh, and it can't hurt to have people from across the uh, public policy space and all of these political parties kind of writing chapter after chapter uh, the facts and having them speak for themselves. What, what was the biggest, when you got all these chapters back to you as the editor, what was your biggest surprise? I'd say the healthcare chapter, because um, I think there was just so much tension and debate, and notably uh, the change uh, when you had to deal with the way medicine had changed. And so you suddenly had uh, surgeries that used to leave people in a hospital for three days, and they could be done in day, and people could go home at the end of the day. Right. And so you suddenly needed a totally different type of hospital, uh, and you didn't need nearly as many uh, surgical beds. Uh, you needed different kinds of beds. Uh, and uh, so in Ontario, we had a special strategy for this, but it was pretty consistent across the rest of Canada. We uh, reduced the number of beds, but we didn't close any of the hospitals. In fact, we kept opening them because it's always politically popular for somebody to uh, be photographed with the shovel in their hand and cutting the ribbon at the end. So we ended up with all of these uh, big, expensive buildings and administration with not enough customers. Uh, and somebody had to kind of pull that Band-Aid off uh, and make the changes to reallocate the investment. And Mike did it. And he closed those 40 uneconomic hospitals and he reinvested in the massive new super regionals and the specialty corridor down University Avenue in Toronto that services the whole province. Uh, and those changes were criticized heart-rending debate over each one of them at the time. Uh, and it was Mike's uh, successors who got to cut the ribbons on right. all the nice new buildings. Yes, That's and the kind of leadership that, um, that is ready to take the big decisions and take the hits for it. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, I could remember at least one minister for health that uh, might have some of those scars to this day. Yeah, I, I, I was I was just going to say one of my memories was, uh, uh, of course, uh, I greenlighted the uh, the Brampton Civic Hospital as it's now known, and uh, and uh, its uh, opening date was after I was gone as health minister, and uh, but I was invited to the opening, and I was there in the audience while my successor, uh, Liberal Party. Health Minister George Smitherman got to cut the ribbon and do the speech, but that's that's the way it is in healthcare. The uh, 
the it, it's a it, things take a long time and uh so uh the the legacies that are built are over years and and generations rather than quick hits for the most part but that's uh but it's 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 the decisions that you make even if you do, you won't get the credit for it that sometimes are the most important decisions and i think that is what leadership is about uh and uh what this book i think chapter after chapter articulates is that we were uh, especially blessed in Ontario to have a premier uh, with the courage of his convictions uh, as profoundly as Mike did. Uh, and with the willingness to take those political lumps in order to do what he saw to be the right things for um, kind of generational change in Ontario. Uh, and um I'll just give you one example that is in Wikipedia or uh, on Google, if you look for Mike Harris. But uh, the United Nations, they were uh, starting to worry about biodiversity. And there was this aspirational target set that uh, every jurisdiction should set aside 12% of its geographical, geographical space to be parkland. Right. Um, Ontario did that. Uh, the living legacy. Uh, a massive expansion, the largest expansion as far as I can find in the history of the world. Right, right. <laughs> and, right. Uh, and Mike just did it because it was the right thing to do. Uh, he did it because he was a northerner and understood nature and the environment and was deeply committed and engaged with it, uh, you know, in his soul, I think. Uh, but, uh, you know, you do not see uh, environmentalist activists uh, out there saying we need more leaders like Mike Harris. No, uh, no. and they should be, uh, because uh, on this and on so many other files, uh, Tony, uh, the one another one that shocked me, Jamie Watt produces a beautiful chapter talking about how uh, Mike was central uh, to uh, the major advancement of LGBTQ rights in uh, Ontario and Canada. Uh, that one I have not seen coming. Mm. Uh, but also the huge expansion uh, in the uh, artscape of Toronto. Yes. You know, expansion yeah. of the ROM, the expansion of the AGO, the new Four Seasons Opera House, uh, the Gardner uh, Museum. Uh, this huge investment in the culture and the arts because that's how you build a great city. Right. If you build a great city, people from the world will come. And uh, Mike did all of these things, and you never saw the arts community of Toronto out campaigning to reelect Mike. You saw the opposite. Uh, so he just did these things because they were right. He didn't do them because they necessarily talk, got talk a little bit about, I mean, you, you've, you've already, uh, broached this topic, but, um, Mike, uh, is a Northerner was, uh, a premier whose home was North Bay. Uh, 95% of Ontario isn't Northern Ontario population wise, although the great majority of the province in square footage is Northern Ontario. Uh, and there is that divide between northern and southern Ontario, between rural Ontario and urban Ontario. Any thoughts on Mike Harris's uh, kind of legacy that way as well? Well, I think uh, Jamie describes it in his chapter, that, that, that's kind of unique understanding that uh, northerner Mike had about uh, how important it was uh, that the south was successful. Mm. <laughs> yeah. uh, you needed both. Yeah. Uh, and, 
you know, one of the most uh, impressive things about Harris was his total comfort with uh, being uh, underestimated. You know, when you go to the poker table and, um, you know, you have to look around and work out who's the patsy. And if you can't work it out, it's probably you. It's you. Yeah. So lots of folks would sit around the table and think Mike was it. Uh, and then they would end up discovering uh, he knew what he was doing. Uh, but he never uh, boasted uh, or put himself out forward. And I think some of that was his northern upbringing. Uh, he was totally comfortable if people wanted to think he was a former golf pro from North Bay. It gave him a competitive edge against them. Right. Because right. he was smart and understood the issues and understood politics and knew what he wanted to achieve. Uh, and, you know, I think, Tony, there's two kinds of politicians. There's kind of the, the transactional ones. Right. Uh, right. You know, they think they know what they stand for. The issues come across their desk. They tackle them as they come. Uh, and there's the transformational ones, the ones who actually have a vision for where they want to take a jurisdiction and, and set a course uh, and then navigate towards a, a distant objective. Um, Mike was the latter. Uh, and it made him, I'd say, on a, a pretty short list for Canada. I know uh, Hugh Siegel, uh, I think Hugh is on the federal provincial. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. I mean, and just my own observation on this, uh, and maybe it's a, a, a twinge of nostalgia that affects us all. But when I look back at, uh, you know, uh, the leaders federally and provincially, um, <laughs> It was quite a quite a list. Uh, Jean Chrétien was prime minister. Uh, Ralph Klein was premier in Alberta. Uh, Lucien Bouchard was uh, premier in Quebec. Uh, you know, uh, though, and of course Mike Harris was premier in Ontario. Uh, those are those are heavy hitters. Those are big league players, and uh, one might uh, say that uh, some of that is missing these days. I don't know. I think that's right. And if you think about, you know, the extraordinary achievement of Chrétien Martin in getting to a balanced budget federally, uh, and uh, it hurts maybe for Tories to acknowledge that it wasn't them who did it, but they'd been in power and hadn't done it. Uh, and we would all flag that Chrétien Martin did it by cutting funding to the provinces. The provinces, yeah. And premiers like Harris and Klein worked out how to absorb those cuts and balance their budgets, and in the case of Harris, cut taxes as well. Uh, and the consequence of the tax cuts and the balanced budget was a giant spike in job creation in Ontario that outperformed every province in Canada and every state in the U.S. and every nation in the OECD uh, for six years. Uh, and you could say it was a coincidence because no premier has that much influence over uh, economics. But uh, just maybe balancing budgets and cutting taxes uh, works because uh, it sure did when uh, when Harris was the premier. But, you know, you do have to give credit to those other giants. You know, we have a, a solvent Canada pension plan today. Right, uh, right. Paul Martin deserves a huge chunk of the credit for that. Sure. As, as you will read in Hugh Siegel's chapter, um, Harris gets a subset of that. Right. Because oh. Ontario historically had resisted changes of this nature. And in this case, Harris uh, went with the change. Uh, and so there's some very important um, collaboration that happened between these, uh, these giants of the time, even if they were in different parties, working out what the right things to do to get Canada moving again. Because uh, we were 
uh, the start of the 90s in, a, in dire straits, provincially and federally. Oh, and don't forget uh, that the very start of his mandate as premier, Quebec almost separated. We were, we were you know, 20,000 votes away from a unilateral declaration of independence by Quebec. Huey covers that and Craig McFadgen in his detailed uh, discussion of federal-provincial uh, relations uh, to supplement what Huey did covers that in great detail. But the thing I remember most was the way Mike signaled in his quiet Ontario premier way. He went to the big rally in Montreal with his son. He didn't go in an official tour. He just went and was in the rally with his kid. Uh, And everybody saw that he was acting like Lots of other Canadians sure. in their hearts wanted this country to stay together. After telling his caucus not to go, by the way. <laughs> That's very interesting. And he showed up with uh, that massive, it wasn't his flag, but he was part of the organization because there was a massive Canadian flag in the crowd. I don't know if you recall that. I do indeed. And uh, uh, so he, he played a little bit of a part in that too. So That's a lovely story. Just add add it to the footnotes. But you um, see, I think this is the uh, this is the next book that needs to be written. I, think. Yeah. Uh, I hope that each of the major cabinet ministers of that time will uh, record uh, their video uh, memories. Uh, oh, and, good. Yeah, t- tell uh, us a little bit more about the the website and the virtual library aspect of this. Sure, sure. So, uh, so Tony, it turns out we're a little bit antique. So uh, the campaigns we were part of were pre-digital. So just as a way to articulate that, uh, we had this platform called the Common Sense Revolution. It was 24 pages. And we printed two and a half million copies right. uh, in a province of not quite 11 million people. Uh, it, was, it was hard not to find one. Uh, and uh, we did it in 12 languages. And everybody wondered why we won the 905. Uh, the reality was that we uh, printed all those copies, and when I started this project, you could not find any of it on the internet because there was no digital version of right. the CSR. So I realized that there was a whole uh, historical record that was on the at risk of disappearing. So I raised a bit of cash, uh, and we built a website, theharrislegacy.ca. Uh, and, um, obviously the first step in the project is to promote uh, the book, but over time, what we're going to build is the first digital premierial library. If you go to the U S uh, you can visit the presidential libraries. I know you've done some of them. Um, and you know, I've been to Kennedy in Boston. I've been to Johnson in Austin. I've been to FDR in New York, uh, state. Uh, I've been to Bush. I've been to Reagan. I've been to Nixon. Um, Americans do a great job of celebrating their political heroes. In Canada, we tend to use and dispose of them. So at a minimum, I would like to have, and what we hope to build, is a digital record of the time. Uh, We're digitizing all the paper uh, that's in, you know, the basements of the pack rats uh, who were involved in all of this stuff. Uh, but as much as possible, we're videotaping interviews with Mike, and then I want to work all the way through the cabinet, and I want to have transcripts of this so that the next time a high school student uh, Googles Mike Harris, or more likely goes on ChatGPT, yeah, uh, yeah. the facts of the yeah. legacy are digitally accessible. 
Uh, and the truth about the transformational nature of Harris's record is fully available to future generations. That's the, that's the vision. Fantastic. And what's the, what's the reaction so far? I know the book isn't uh, quite on the shelves yet. It's coming out very soon. But uh, yeah, So the pre-order rate looks pretty good. Amazon tells us we've got a bestseller and we haven't uh, been able to actually hand out a single copy because uh, they're coming through the port of Vancouver and will be a few more weeks to get to uh, Toronto. Uh, but just on the website side of things, uh, what's fascinating to me is, uh, you know, we've had a few thousand visitors already and the average time on the site which is one of the things you care about is over five minutes. So uh, people are coming and they're not just clicking to buy the book. Right, right, uh, right. They're tooling around and seeing what they can find. And there are videos, there's copies of the campaign ads, the campaign jingles, uh, major speeches, uh, copies of the Common Sense Revolution. Uh, and so it's just the start of what I think will be sure. quite a rich uh, historical record of quite an important time. And if this book has the impact, we hope it will. Uh, it'll be a time that people really do want to study. Because if there's one lesson for people today that I think they could draw from Mike Harris of those years ago, Tony, it's that, you know, sometimes the problems of the day look pretty intractable. Right. You know, uh, there's people who are saying out loud that the country's broken. Uh, and there's quite a few folks nodding their head in agreement. Uh, but one of the risks in times like this is that people conclude that no one person can make a difference. There's no way to change it. There's no way to fix it. You can't get it done. Uh, or, you know, the only solutions are, are more radical. Uh, the reality is that Ontario back in 95 was at its wits end. And a leader stood up with a plan and got a party behind him and then got a province behind him. And then he did what he said, and it worked. Uh, and I think that lesson uh, is a lesson that should give cheer to everybody who believes in the democratic model, but knows that the Canada we're in right now needs some help. Sure. And I, I'm sure you noticed that the uh, Conservative Party convention in Quebec City uh, last September, just over a month ago, was called the Common Sense convention it made me smile uh and uh i would just flag that um from my perspective and you know i'm a policy geek uh there's two parts to the common sense right. brand right one part is a blunt plain speaking do what you say uh and the other part is deep rich policy yeah with a plan for execution and implementation and so I have, uh, like lots of Canadians, uh, great hopes uh, for change, uh, but for the common sense brand to be executed against the way I believe it should be, uh, the party uh, that's waving that banner now has some thinking to do, some planning to do, and needs to lay out uh, a clear vision of what will be done if they win. I think that's a good advice from a, a political pro from years gone by. Alistair Campbell, thank you very much for coming on. And another thing, podcast, it's great to hear about the Harris legacy. Just uh, stay on the line. I just want to thank our sponsors again. Municipal Solutions, of course, is our presenting sponsor. You can find out all about their services at municipalsolutions.ca. 
Our terrestrial radio partner is HuntersBayRadio.com. You can rehear this podcast as well as many other fine podcasts every Saturday morning there. And of course, the HarrisLegacy.ca. This is the Harris Legacy Reflections on a Transformational Premier. The order yours at that site, the HarrisLegacy.ca. And finally, our newest sponsor, of course, from the Constitutional Cana- uh, Canadian Constitutional Foundation, the podcast Not Reserving Judgment is available wherever else you get your podcasts. Thanks, thanks for listening. Jody will be back. And again, I promise you we are going to uh, try very hard to get Eli Hazan, uh, an Israeli ambassador, on our program very, very soon to talk about the crisis in the Middle East and the terrible fate that befell uh, Israel just a few days ago. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back in just a few short days.